Because Mark's gospel is too short in comparison to Matthew and Luke, we have a six-week hiatus from the gospel of Mark as we go through John chapter 6, the great Eucharistic discourse. So first, I want to lay down a bit of a context that we can use over the next five, six weeks to understand what's actually going on within our text. First, Jesus is the new Moses. This is what explains the line that the people say after seeing the sign, this is truly the prophet, the one who is to come into the world. Notice the word there is not just a prophet, it's the prophet. And it actually harkens back to a line from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like Moses from among you. No prophet since Moses had ever arisen that could see God face to face, as the text says. So Jesus is this new Moses, the prophet, who was promised all the way back in Deuteronomy. We can see many parallels between Jesus and Moses. In our text today, Jesus went up on a mountain. There he taught the people and gave the law of the New Testament, just like Moses had gone up Mount Sinai to retrieve the law of the Old Testament. In addition, Moses provided both water and bread from heaven. Those are the two key signs that Moses provided in the desert. So too does Jesus provide these things. First, in baptism, the true water from the rock, and then second, the manna, the true bread from heaven, which is himself in the Eucharist. Between baptism and the Eucharist, we see that Jesus more than fulfills the job of being the new Moses. Just as Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights before receiving the law, so did Jesus before his public ministry. And finally, interestingly, the first sign Moses performs in Egypt is the turning of the water, the Nile, into blood. And Jesus performs a similar miracle as his first miracle at Passover. This is the first one recorded in John chapter 2. This is the turning of the water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. Now, like Moses, Jesus will eventually turn water to blood. It just takes about three Passovers. Jesus gets to that at the Last Supper when he takes the wine and then says, this is the blood of the covenant. So we can see this progression of Jesus fulfilling all of these things that Moses had done in the Old Testament. So the question then is, were the people actually anticipating Jesus to be the new Moses? Is this just something that commentators throw in based on the readings and what we have? And the answer is yes. Actually, in the first century AD, Josephus, who's a great historian, records several incidences, and two of these are of note. First, Josephus records that a man called Theudas, who had a large following, got them to take up their possessions and go to the Jordan River, where he claimed he would part the river so the people would pass through. Josephus also records a man called the Egyptian, who went to the Mount of Olives and claimed to his followers that he would cause Jerusalem to fall down and give easy entrance into the city. Both of these were prophetic figures who promised to show signs. And of course, both of them were failures. The signs never came true, and they were both promptly killed. 
So yes, the people did have this anticipation. You don't get a large number of people following you when you claim to be a prophet and to work signs like Moses unless there was actually an anticipation among the people at the time that the new Moses was coming. So the people were expecting a new Moses, a prophet like him. Why? Why were they expecting someone like Moses at this time especially rather than the past 1,600 years? The reason is for the new exodus. This was promised in Isaiah 35 and in other places that the new Moses would lead a new exodus for the ingathering of the 12 tribes that had been scattered by Assyria and Babylon. This was the event that the Jewish people were waiting for, the new exodus to bring the tribes back to the promised land. This is actually why Jesus withdrew in the end of our gospel passage, because Jesus knew that they were coming to carry him off to make him king. The people thought the new exodus was to be the destruction of the Romans, just like the destruction of the Egyptians and those that were occupying the promised land. They didn't understand the spiritual shift to the supernatural. And even Jesus speaks about his work in the Paschal mystery as a new exodus. If you look at Luke's gospel, at the transfiguration, he's speaking with Moses and Elijah, literally about his exodus, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. He's very explicit. He's about to embark on a new exodus in Jerusalem. All of this is the context for the bread of life discourse in John chapter 6, when Jesus talks about the new manna. Now, he doesn't mention manna in this reading. You'll see that next week. But it is given by the new Moses for the new exodus. Let's talk about some properties of this manna. The old manna is described in Exodus as like wafers made with honey. The reason why that's a key line is because these wafers, like wafers made with honey, it's a foretaste of what was promised in the promised land. The promised land was to be a land flowing of milk and honey. So this manna having the taste of honey It was literally a foretaste of what the promised land would be. So through the Eucharist, the new manna, we already have divine life within us. It is the foretaste of heaven. We already experience eternal life here and now before we enjoy it in the life after. The second thing, when we pray the Our Father, we say, give us this day our daily bread, Well, it really sounds redundant, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. The translation actually for the word daily is epiousia, which best translated, actually St. Jerome does this. um, He actually translates it a different way than daily. He translates it as super substantial or supernatural bread. Give us this day our supernatural bread, which means this bread that's provided for us in the Eucharist is also meant to be provided daily. It's available to us every time we come to Mass. Many of us here have seen the Eucharist as such a source of life for them 
that they couldn't dream of having a day without the Eucharist. It becomes that important. It's, it's a lifeline to deal with all of the things within this world. This world, by the way, is... We're in Exodus. We're on our journey. The bread, the new man of the Eucharist, this is the bread of wayfarers. This is the bread for those who are on a journey. That's the whole point of the Eucharist. It's a foretaste of the things to come. We are not yet in our home here. We're waiting for our home in heaven. Never forget that we are on a journey. And finally, this property of the manna being for bread for those on a journey. There is no Eucharist in heaven. There's only God himself. All the sacraments, they pass away when we actually reach the promised land. We don't need anything sensible when God is present to us and we, we are like him because we see him face to face. So for us on this journey, it's really evocative. We haven't talked about Lord of the Rings, have we? I know there were some former priests here who might have mentioned Lord of the Rings maybe on one occasion, not more than one, Father Hurley. But there's a beautiful analogy for this bread for those on a journey in the Lambus bread in Lord of the Rings. Have you, do you guys, show of hands, who knows of the Lambus bread in Lord of the Rings? How relevant is this? Oh, daft. You guys have got to see Lord of the Rings. Or at least read it, reading better, but to see it. So this analogy will be lost on most of you. So why even bring it up? Well, it's really beautiful. This is what the book says about the Lambus bread. The Lambus had a virtue without which they would long ago have laid down to die. It did not satisfy desire, and at times the hobbits' minds were filled with the memories of food. And yet this whey bread had a potency that increased as travelers relied on it. It fed the will, and it gave strength to endure to master sinew and limb beyond the measure of mortal kind. I've seldom heard a better description of the Eucharist than given right here in this work of fiction, this bread that allowed Sam and Frodo to climb all the way to Mount Doom. It's something that doesn't satisfy earthly desire for food, and yet it give, gives strength beyond mortal measure. When we rely upon the Eucharist more and more, the strength that we're able to do to do our tasks in this world grows little by little every time we receive this food. So may we cultivate this longing for this super substantial bread. May we learn to rely upon it more than all earthly things. And through its foretaste of eternal life, may it make us yearn all the more for our life in heaven.